Today we have the uh, opportunity, and I'd like um, to encourage that we use the time and the practice we've been doing to uh, contemplate this experience of the four ennobling truths as we um, as we experience them here and now. They're not meant to be an intellectual teaching that we just think about. Um, in some academic way, but they're a teaching to help, they're like a mirror. In fact, the Buddhist teaching is really like a mirror that helps reflect back our human condition. And they're meant to be reflections and pointers to help guide us towards our deeper home and away from um, being embroiled in unnecessary pain and suffering and perpetuating that for ourselves and others. They're not ultimates. In you know, none of the teachings are ultimate truths or statements. They, the ultimate truth, you can't capture in a religion or a form or language, or a method or a technique. It transcends all all limitations, all language, all forms. One has to go beyond our attachment to our various paths and methods and techniques to really taste and realize more profoundly this unshakable dharma, this timeless dharma. So the Buddha's teaching, many religions and teachings and spiritual methods don't don't understand their own relativity. (laughs) They create themselves as ultimate um, expressions of the truth, where Buddhism really does mostly understand its own relativity. As it's said in the Lotus Sutra, the Dharma cannot be described, words fall short before it. So we need to always just bear that in mind when we, we practice, because the forms and the words can start to intimidate us and remove us somehow. They become an internalized authority and and intimidate us and remove us from the reality of our own experience when they're actually meant to be guides and supports and reflections to help make our experience more um, to empower us in our own authenticity in our understanding So this reflection on the first ennobling truth is something it's, the Buddha began with that message because it is so, so much part of our human experience every day. <laughs> we experience some form of dukkha or other, some feeling of unsatisfactoriness. And rather than it being, you know, it's not meant to be like a, I believe in suffering, that's what we do as a Buddhist. It's a pretty depressing message. But it's meant to help us orientate our ability to reflect and contemplate this experience rather than so profoundly react to it and deny it and repress it and project it. 
And if we can actually apprehend this experience of unsatisfactoriness and dukkha when it arises, it actually becomes the vehicle through which we can deepen into this deeper realization of where the third noble truth points to, points back home, points to our unshakable heart, that which has always been here. But it's like a gateway, you know, there's a, it's a gateway to, to, to first of all be able to comprehend and contemplate this experience. So today, usually we react when we, you know, the second noble truth is, is that we react to the experience of unsatisfactoriness. You know, and we create even more suffering and difficulty. So it's you know as as there's as we've been practicing this samatha, this calming, this steadying, this working with the breath, working with the body. This is always our basis. We can always come back to this. Always refer to this training to help steady the mind. And then that mindfulness, as it starts to become more steady and constant, it is has a strength within which that same attentiveness that we give to the breath body sensation, to feeling, to our contemplation of our experience here and now, we can turn that same quality of attention to the experience of dukkha if it arises, whether we experience it as a, as a as feeling of, of agitation or whether it's a very profound suffering that comes up. Often on retreat some of our deepest sufferings might arise about our relationships, what's happening in our life, whether it's a a tendency and a habit of mind that we are familiar with but it just pulls us out into worry or anxiety or speediness or restlessness or whether it's just this very subtle at its most subtle level this dukkha is this this separative consciousness it's a sort of a a sort of a a primary wound almost of not really feeling our wholeness not feeling at homeness not, not really belonging somehow. This sort of creates this skittishness in the mind where we, we're always trying to find a place to land. It's connected with this profound loss of real home, caught in our separateness. And this is associated with a, this sense of, of some sort of subtle, or not so subtle, anguish, longing. This is dukkha. So as dukkha arises, rather than being frightened of it or personalizing it, oh, there's something wrong with me, everyone else looks fine and peaceful here, I'm just full of suffering. (laughs) It's like we all, oh, look at Tanisra, she looks so calm, you have no idea (laughs) what goes on for me every day. And you know what, I, I have to work quite hard, actually to be with, you know, what, what my life is and what my karma is, just to, to be able to just take a breath, <laughs> you know, to be mindful, you know, it's not that anyone really is not going to experience some kind of dukkha. As I said, even last night, the Buddha, even though he was fully awakened, he still experienced dukkha. He just didn't make a problem out of it, like we do. 
He understood it, he knew what it was. So when it arises, using that strength of mindfulness, and if the mindfulness doesn't feel strong and we feel overwhelmed, then just come back if we can to the breath. Just say, not now, so we can negotiate. But if there is some stability, being able to then contemplate as it's encouraged in this first ennobling truth to open to the experience of dukkha and to begin to discern dukkha, dukkha, yes, there's unpleasant feeling, it's not easy, but what, that's just how it is. Body has painful knees or it's stressed in some way. There's some kind of dukkha from the karmic momentum of my life that I experience that's not easy to be with. But what is the peace that we then add? This is what the Buddha is pointing to from the ignorance of the mind that says it shouldn't be like this, I don't want it. And then we act with, we act with aversion, like this second arrow, and we create more struggle. We react with denial, we try and push it away. Or, or, or blame it, it's their fault, probably is, but still. <laughs> it's our problem when it lands on our plate, <laughs> if we're suffering. <laughs> or we, we distract, usually, we have incredibly sophisticated ways of distracting ourselves from this experience. We have a billion dollar industry to help us. To keep her. So it's very, it's hard. This isn't easy, but we, it's doable. So as we start to see these energies that, that are talked about in the second noble truth, where this, it's basically this reactivity to the fundamental experience of, yes, there is this dukkha, then we can maybe begin to release little by little from that reactivity and just allow it to be there. So it's still dukkha, but there's a different qualitative relationship to the experience. We're not fueling the feeling of suffering. We're coming to terms with it. We're apprehending it. And that which can come to terms and notice the suffering actually isn't suffering. We're beginning to be, what's beginning to be revealed and open to is this third noble truth, which is the unshakable nature of the jitta, of the heart of the aware, present, non-suffering heart. Ajahn Chah used to say, right where there's hot, there's cold. Right where there's samsara, there's nirvana. They're not out there somewhere in a book. They're here all the time, right next to each other. You turn the tap a little bit one way and it's hot, and you turn it a little bit the other way and it's cool. And it's that's the difference. And what the difference is, is this fundamental movement when there's this experience. It's not in the third noble truth. It's called Niroda, Nibbana, Nibida. These kinds of words describe this third ennobling truth, which means, it means the cessation. It means the cooling. It means the releasing. It doesn't mean things, the cessation. When I first thought that, I thought everything had to stop. And that's what the Buddha thought. The breath, the forms, the, the, the feeling tones, the world, it has to stop. And that's peace. So you use a lot of meditation and willpower to just try and stop everything. 
you know, and it's, it's quite hard to do that if you've noticed, mm-hmm. because the breath happens, feelings happen, thoughts happen. There's this there's stuff happening. The wheel is turning. The karma is happening. There's this momentum. But what starts to stop is this movement, it's called Sanya Sankara, this movement to create the sense of self, the movement of identification with the stuff, the movement of reactivity in response to the experience of dukkha. Right when we make that movement, then there's, we're caught, there's samsara, there's birth, there's a feeling of struggle, there's a feeling it will never end. But right at that moment, we're just letting it be, letting it be, releasing. So the third noble truth is practice of just letting be, letting go, accepting, allowing. It's not a static state. People say, oh, I'll just be an enlightened cucumber then. I won't be able to do anything. You know, the world will just go to hell in a handbasket. You know, I won't be there to save the world. <laughs> you know, I, I've noticed, you know, people like the Buddha who were enlightened were pretty effective in the world two and a half thousand years later. So I don't think we need to really worry about that. You know, if we become fully awakened that we'll become a cold cucumber, an unresponsive stone. You know, I think the nature of awakening is very responsive, but still it's a very different responsiveness than when we're coming from our agitation and our fear and our desires and our worries and our agendas and our manipulations and our strategies. When we're not really in touch with the world, but we're just projecting the world from our unconsciousness and from our reactivity. We don't even know the world yet. So this is getting to know the worlds we create and to disengage them, take the foot off the clutch, let the engine go, but we're not having to always drive the car. We're getting to know a different dimension of our being in this third noble truth, this subtle just relinquishing of the struggle at that point where it's hot, moving to where it's cooling, it's Nibbana, cooling, cooling, peace, letting be, letting be. And then beginning to notice as this happens, as this movement of of letting be, we begin to notice there's this fundamental awareness of the heart, presence, being, just here. It's not a personal identity, it just is. And it's very intimate. It's the most intimate aspect of our being. It's also kind of impersonal. So this is why they say in the bodhisattvas can choose what birth. It's not they're just pulled by the karmic momentum of reactivity, desire and fear. When there's a real ground in this fundamental presence of the heart, this unshakable presence, then within that karmic momentum, what one moves with becomes more of a conscious choice. Usually it's not that for us, is it? We just get pulled 
So again, this samatha, this embodied meditation, just helps the slowing down. It helps us to have that discernment, to have that space. And particularly on this retreat here, and when we do this more depth practice, we can choose not to be born so much into the stuff of the mind. Or we can at least start to work towards that. We still might not choose, you know. But we can start to get a flavor of what, I don't have to go with that right now. You know, it's dukkha, it's there, I'm aware, it's present, I'm contemplating it. And I just like get the sense of what is it not to be so addicted to the struggles of our life. You know, sometimes we feel if it's not intense, if we're not struggling, we're not alive. It's not real to us somehow. So it's getting to know somehow it's like an acquired taste, this nibbana. <laughs> it's pe- you know we you know we say we want to be peaceful, but we don't really because it's kind of boring. You know, we want to be like in the stuff, you know. So we resist, you know, in a way, peace is always inviting. We're always being invited home, but we resist. So to to learn to, to, like, reflect, this is why the natural environment can be very, when it's like this, very helpful because there's something quite peaceful and slow. It's, It's like a a way that we attune, helps us to attune to this slower, slowing, slowing, recognizing, resting back into this presence, into this awareness, into this fundamental, primordial suchness of the moment. An analogy that Kitty Saro likes to use. He said it's a bit like the ocean. It's like the, you get the waves on the top of the ocean, and we can look at those waves, and we say, "Oh, they're very pretty, lovely little ripples in the sunlight," or they're huge waves, or maybe even tsunamis. There's there's all sorts of different waves on the top of the ocean. But a wave, when it crashes on the shore, it doesn't go, oh, poor me. Look at me, I've crashed. I'm destroyed. And starts wailing because it knows it's going to go back into the ocean. You know, and this, this waves is the sense of, it's like the sense of self that's being picked up and supported and born through this activity of our sensory consciousness. Moments of seeing, hearing, thinking, remembering, proliferating, storying, feeling, you know, this is all constitutes, and it's not to deny the sense of me, I think that's a whole territory that has its proper place, but it's this fixation of the me, and that surface, that where we miss, begin to miss the depth, we miss the depth of the ocean, the stillness of the ocean, it's all water, it's all consciousness, you know, the sensory consciousness is where we tend to to be, and particularly in our thinking, which is a sensory consciousness. And then that, you know, we miss this, what in the Shurangama Sutra, the Mahayana Sutra, talks about as 
uh, pure consciousness as, as the fundamental nature of mind, that which is purely aware and knowing and present, which is available to us to recognize here and now. This is the territory of the Third Noble Truth. So in our contemplation today, using this gathering, I recommend that when we start the meditation as we've been doing, taking some deepening breaths, feeling into the posture, spending some time just being with the breath, focusing, noticing how it is, what you're present with, and then just this this contemplative, not in some big, heavy way, but just allowing a, re- a relaxing a little bit of your awareness sometimes. It's not just so focused on the technique that you're using with the breath, the method. And then it's just contemplating and just noticing if there's dukkha rather than going, oh no, my meditation's going wrong. <laughs> just so that's opening to reflect. And how, how is it that we increase it through our reactivity and can we release can we let it be? Can we use the breath? And the out-breath can be very helpful. Each out-breath, returning and noticing where these waves of the sense of self and the stories, how they keep dissolving back into this knowingness. How the sounds keep arising. We can contemplate sound. How it keeps arising, but it's, each sound is dissolving back into this silence. Each movement is dissolving and resting back into stillness. So this is like attunement. We notice sometimes we're just stuck on the stuff, but we're beginning to notice. It's like noticing the room where we just see all the people. And we have different stories about everyone, maybe. But we don't notice the space. So it's a little bit like noticing the space. And the same in interiorly, we notice our staff, but also noticing the fundamental awareness, this presence. If we find ourselves really um, swept away, one of the, the most powerful activities for this, what's called Sankara, the making and the creating of me (laughs) in all the different realms where we appear as me the central star of our stories (laughs) one of the most powerful um, contributors to that is our thinking the mental activity so getting so using this inquiry this reflective these vipassana to begin to actually reflect on what is thought rather than getting involved and intoxicated with the thoughts. So it's just looking at thought itself. So one can just say thinking, rather than what, you know, thinking nice thoughts, horrible thoughts, distracting thoughts, just thinking. And this begins to actually, this releasing out of the identification begins to awaken us to there can be the awareness of thinking. And even furthering that using a method from the Chan, which I <coughs> like very much, is, is, is very powerful. Who is thinking? 
Who is thinking? Who is planning? Who is failing at their meditation? Who is trying to get somewhere? Who is doing so well? Who's on the cusp of enlightenment? (laughs) (laughs) Me! (laughs) Who's going to save all sentient beings? So this is, you know, this is called the royal road. This is the this is a powerful method. So you don't want to just go hoo 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 because it can be quite intense. But from time to time, you just put that in the day when you find yourself caught in a momentum and, and you realize it's starting to constrict you into this experience of dukkha. Just who is suffering? Who is struggling? Let, try and find the answer so much but just it's like Kitty Sarah says it's a bit like a window screen, you know when it's really raining and you put the window screen wipers on when you're driving just for a second it like goes it, it points back into this awareness because it's like it dissolves the, the proliferation it's called Papuncha, this huge cloud of me and the thoughts and the reactions, who? So you can try that a little bit today if you like, from time to time. So the labelling, thinking, you can even say, even give it a quality, you know, planning thinking or upset thinking or distracted thinking or fantasy thinking. from time to time who and then just allowing it's like it's like one of the primary koans who just allows that as I was saying the other day with Angulimala allows a little moment of stopping the momentum who Just feeling the presence, which is just a little bit unhook. Another, which we've been practicing, another third method you might want to try today, just to encourage into this deepening into the third noble truth, this territory. We've been practicing a little with the walking. There was a the teaching that the Buddha gave to a disciple who was known as the disciple that understood the quickest. His name was Bahia. And Bahia, the Buddha was on arms round, and Bahia came up to the Buddha and said, Hey, you know, can you give me a teaching? And the Buddha said, It's not appropriate, I'm on arms round, come later. And Bahia said, Well, you never know when death will come, can you give me a teaching? The Buddha said, it's not appropriate, I'm on arms round, Bahia, not here and now. And then Bahia said, yeah, but you never know when death will come. It's an impermanent world, please give me a teaching. And it said, if you ask the Buddha three times, then you cannot refuse. So the Buddha turned to Bahia and he gave a teaching, and one of the, the essence of the teaching, he said, Bahia, in the seeing is just the seeing, in the hearing is just the hearing, and in the cognized is just cognition, and the thinking is just thinking. 
there is no here, there is no there, there is no this, there is no that. It kind of went on a bit. But this was this fundamental teaching, profound teaching, and the seeing is just the seeing, in the hearing is just hearing, in thinking is just thinking. And at that moment, the here awakened. He released from the whole machinery, like the matrix. You ever see that? It's popped out of the whole thing. It got popped out of the whole thing. <laughs> the whole mechanism of what keeps us in the wheel and was awakened. And at that moment, a bull came along and gored him, and he died. <laughs> so he was—he knew that something that he had to get something quickly. <laughs> That's the story, you know. There's some really sort of wild stories when you read the side of the Buddha. You can't believe they're true, but anyway, I think they probably were many of them. So in the seeing, you know, just rather than when we see something, usually it's easier when we see people. There's a lot of proliferation oh, I like this person, or they don't like me, or I'm not sure, or blah, blah, blah. So it's easier sometimes to just looking, seeing nature. We should go, oh, we're seeing a tree, and the trees are being chopped down, and the Amazon, and it's the Rio meeting, and, you know, it'd be good to be there, and... Uh, you know, do some kind of activism. I don't know about this sitting in a retreat, and you know the proliferation of the mind. So we're not seeing anymore, and we created this world. This was called the creation of the mind. So then, in the seeing, it's just the seeing until we really start to see what we're seeing. And as I was saying, in the walking, in this encouragement of Tonglu Saido to allow the sights to come to the organ of the eye rather than chasing and looking at stuff, allow, soften the gaze. In the hearing is just sound. It was so, you know, oh, that's the, when that machine was the other day, I, oh no, is that going to be there the whole time? Oh, it's really disturbing. Oh, they, why are they doing that? And I had to go to the office and say, is that going to be there the rest of the retreat? Should, you know, should I start teaching not Samatha because it's a bit, you know, should we be doing dancing instead? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to do now, you know. And, and they said, oh no, it's just the state clearing the trees. And I was like, okay. So, you know, so it's a whole big thing that I created around a little bit of machinery that went on for an hour or two. <laughs> so, it's... This is why I need to teach, because I really still need to practice. You have no idea how much I need to practice. <laughs> in the hearing, is just sound, and then there's our reactivity to the sound. And it's not to say that we shouldn't have our reactions, or they're not true, or they're not wise, or they're not discerning, but this is, like, this is a teaching to help us get back home. And then we, whatever we do, we do. So in the hearing, is just the hearing, so it helps to stop the proliferation. Pleasant sound, unpleasant sound, just sound, and then sound, as we listen, it will take us, as Ajahn Smeda, one of my teachers, would say, every condition takes us to the deathless, takes us back, because every condition, everything, meaning everything that comes into form, sound, feeling, sight, forms, as that dissolves, it takes us back into the formless. We notice the ground, which is actually formless, is shunyata, 
It's the ground that gives birth to all things. Here, it's not somewhere else here. In the see, in the thinking, it's just thinking. That's a little more tricky because the thinking is so me. So moments of just being able to know in thinking is just thinking. It's just thinking. It's just thought, it's just cognition, it's just an activity of sense. And this is where this question, who, who is thinking, can help break the identification or help soften it, give it a bit of space. So today, using this, using what we've done to keep grounding, to be, keep the foundation with the body, with the breath, with the feeling tone, as that's the bread and butter, the potatoes, if you're Irish. <laughs> that's the ground of the work. But then just this, this attunement, there's dukkha knowing dukkha. If there's this tendency to generate the dukkha that comes from our reactivity, knowing that and releasing, softening, letting be. Moments of being able to recognize as we let be this fundamental awareness and presence. Resting in that. Tasting peace. Tasting stillness, silence, that's always present even within the midst of the conditions. Here and now. So let's sit for a short while. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.